0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing today?
0: It is a gorgeous day out there. I was uh, visited my mom in the uh, you know the seniors' home and wheeled mm-hmm. her around the neighborhood. Uh, so oh, no. oh, it's it's great to be able to get out and about with with them. It sure picks up their spirits to get outside. Uh, especially my parents lived a lot of their lives outside the in- love nature. So that was, couldn't do that for a long time, Bruce, because the rules. So f- finally things have changed and, and tomorrow's a big day in Alberta. Um, mm-hmm. This podcast may run after that, but uh, right. tomorrow's June 10th and uh, a huge moment in opening, reopening the province. So I'm excited about that too. Be nice to go to a restaurant and sit with, hope. you know, pretty much the vast majority of us are vaccinated with one dose. Uh, some some have two, like you. Two for me. Two for you. Yep. So things are looking up.
1: Friday Friday is my two weeks from my second dose. So that's, oh, sweet. that's the all clear kind of date that they've uh, said, assuming the thing is uh, effective for me. And uh, I've got no signs that it isn't. So, I mean, there's no 100% guarantee for anyone, I don't suppose, with the vaccine, but it's in the high 90s. I like my chances.
0: No guarantees in life. Period. Except oh, that's it, true. Except death and taxes. So, mm-hmm. COVID's in one of those categories, uh, but fortunately, uh, not coming for us. Hopefully. Alrighty, Bruce. Um, today we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to do a keep, hold, or fold on three different demon all at once,
1: okay.
0: and um, they all have something in common. They're all left shot demon. Um, all of them. Uh, well, I, we could even include Kristoff, so we could bump it up to four. Mm-hmm. But all of them were kind of in competition for playoff spots, ice playoff ice time. We're talking about Caleb Jones, Slater Cuckoo, and um, Dmitry Kulikov. Kulikov is a UFA. Jones yeah. is signed for one more year, and Slater Cuckoo is a UFA, I believe, or is mm-hmm, he RFA? Yes. I think he's UFA. UFA. So um, the orders have to, some decisions to make here. Why don't we start with Kulikov, Vladimir, uh, I feel always feel like calling him Vladimir Kulikov for some mm. reason. He is Dmitry. Dmitry. Dmitry Kulikov. He, I believe, is what, 30, 31. He's a, quite a veteran NHL D-man. We saw him in the regular season for about 10 games in the playoffs for th- three until he got benched in favor of Chris Russell. That might have happened earlier if Chris Russell's health had been better uh, earlier in the playoffs. Bruce Dmitry 30, Kulikov. 30
1: years old. He'll be 31 in October.
0: Keep hold or fold. <sighs>
1: yeah. Uh I don't hate the player. Um I understand why the trade was made. Uh I don't mind his price tag. Uh I mean keep is not really an option in that they don't have a contract on them. I mean, they can hold by, in terms of making an offer or they can fold by just say, be gone, Dimitri. We saw more than enough from you that to know that we uh, don't have plans for you in the future. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of in the hold camp on him. I think he's a decent depth player, but maybe you've already got that with Chris Russell. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be offering him any, any kind of, uh, of big money, but uh he was funny. Like he posted good results in the regular season, and then he kind of had a tough go of it in the playoffs, and wound up in the press box for the for the final game. Uh, I liked a lot of what he brought. Um, uh, ultimately, uh, Oilers had a weakness all season, I would say, at, at second left defenseman, and he was uh, arguably the best uh, uh, choice, but. Uh, none of them were really the solution at two lefty. They missed Oscar Clefbaum. and the five-five-five. I don't think they ever really replaced him. Tall order, mind you.
0: Yeah, I don't, and I don't see Oscar Clefbaum coming back based on what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm hearing. So the orders need a second pairing, a two, a two you know, second pairing defenseman on the left side, and yeah. Philip Broberry, who we've talked about a lot, is. I, I think he's going to get that role. So what Very they need cool. is a short term. They need the uh, Tyson Berry of left shot demon. Mm-hmm. Someone who's going to come in on a one or two year contract and, and crush it. You know, someone who's going to get the job done in the short term. Um, you know, Barry didn't Barry crushed it on the attack, not defensively, but I think that's what the owners need is, is a player like Tyson Berry as well. Um, when I, I'm watching a little bit of the playoffs now and then a smattering of the playoffs, I, I cut the Colorado, some Col- Colorado Vegas last night
1: mm-hmm.
0: Bruce, watching the Colorado abs play hockey is like watching a different sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like fast break Showtime LA Lakers basketball from the 80s. Their defensemen are so fast. And how they added Devon Taves to that fast list of defensemen. He's fast too, but they have McCarr and Gerard, and McCarr and Gerard is like hyper warp speed, hyper like it's just a different class than most NHL defensemen in terms of speed. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to be as that fast to necessarily win in the playoffs. Vegas isn't that fast; they might well beat Colorado. But Bruce, the Older's got to get faster on their defense. Mm-hmm. We were just, you know, okay, here's my breakdown, and we can, we'll can we see if you agree, although I pre-checked my list with you, so I know that you kind of agree. Of, of uh, above-average NHL skaters, average NHL skaters for defensemen, and below-average. So on the above-average list, I had two NHL defensemen on the Oilers. Darnell Nurse, who has got fantastic straight-ahead speed and pretty good agility, but fantastic straight-ahead speed. Caleb Jones, who's got fantastic ability, And pretty good straight-ahead speed, I would say. Uh, If we were to to include Philip Brober, he has both. He's got definitely that fast-ahead, straight-ahead speed. And I think he's also got pretty good agility, which is why the Oilers drafted him so high. Still working on that. So uh, in the average category, I have Chris Russell, who's going to be, you know, was an above-average skater earlier in his career. Not so much anymore. Average, but still average. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little, little bit, you know, on the high end of average. Slater Cuckoo, who I thought was an average NHL skater. He's got pretty good agility. Um, uh, Evan Bouchard. And one name on my list that I cannot read all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get back. Oh, Barry. Tyson Barry. Tyson average Barry. NHL skater. Yeah. He, he, he was fairly uh, fairly decent agility, Tyson Barry, but he's not super fast with the puck. And then below average, we have Adam Larson, Ethan Bear, William Logason, and and Dmitry Kulikov, who I think is just a little like he's on the he's on the higher end of the below average, but he's not. I don't think he's a very like he's not a. His skating doesn't stand out. That is a slow defense. It's it's still too slow. And Tippett, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Tippett leaned towards the slower guys. I mean, Caleb Jones, as the year went on, didn't get into the playoffs. He mm-hmm. had a fast defenseman he could have used to speed things up. He had Evan Bouchard, who is an average skater but plays fast like you know his reading of the game is hyper it's on you know it's hyperdrive. he's got the lithium crystals in his brain you know he just processes it so fast that he he would have put them in a different category of of uh attacking speed as well it didn't mm-hmm. go with him tippet went with the the kulakovs you know the Larsons, which i fully approve of going with Larson. um and some key choices, Bruce, and I think it hurt the Oilers. So with Kulikov, because I think the Oilers um, need to get a faster player, uh, charting in for one year, Bob Straff on Oilers now was mentioning Gustafsson from Montreal as a possibility, which I thought was mm-hmm. a very, very interesting possibility for a one-year deal. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with fold on Dmitry Kulikov. I, I I think they already have Chris Russell as your slow defensive D-man. He's yeah. as good in that role as Kulikov's going to be, I believe, you know, as the seventh D-man. Um, I don't see... I want someone faster and better with the puck. Fold.
1: Okay. Kulikov was like... He was the number four defenseman, basically, yep. when he was there. Yeah. So, you could project him as a third pairing, but there's a lot of third-pairing guys potentially there um so i you know i like to say i'm i'm in the middle of him I, I don't think he's the worst player they could bring back but i don't want them to bring all these guys back and i agree with you that uh, they could use a little more uh, uh skating uh, just raw speed and and, and ability um the Colorado warp speed stuff. I mean, one of the one of the issues they've had there is their warp speed defense sometimes abandons the defensive zone before the puck does, Have and that is cool that, that's led to a couple of problems for them. But um, they've got uh, they certainly activate into the play. It's fun to watch when they're on the fast break. That's for sure. So, like you say, showtime, and it, it's that uh, car is something else with the puck mm-hmm. on his stick. Oh. Yeah, Yeah. so you can understand why they suddenly decided they could afford to get rid of Tyson Berry, who was a big scoring D-man for them for a number of years, but uh, after McCarr showed the tip of his iceberg in the 2019 playoffs against Calgary, and uh, Berry had one year left at, you know, five and a half million dollars, and they had this guy just coming up on an ELC, and right away they thought, oh, no, he's our guy, we can trade Barry, fill another need, which they did in the getting Nazem Kadri. They would have filled a need if Kadri could stay in the lineup. And they've got, uh, uh, you know, they've also got Samuel Gerrard, same kind of caliber of player, undersized, uh, you know, smaller than he's 5'10", I think, and 170 pounds, something like that. So, like, they didn't have room for three of those guys, so Barry was the one they moved on from. And of the three, I would say Barry is the uh, worst skater. Yeah, uh, and you know, and he's not a bad skater, but those two are both plus in that department. So uh, the comparison to Colorado Oilers are not going to fare well in that in that comparison on a number of fronts, and puck moving defensemen would be on that list.
0: Definitely the case, and it's I just think they need to. They gotta get better. I mean, they are gonna get better. Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberry are gonna be in their top four. You'd you'd hope maybe Bouchard next year in the top four. Um Philip Broberry in a year or two. So it's gonna change. Uh and it's gonna change from internal improvement, but they I think they're gonna need a stop. Unless Clefbaum can be that stop gap somehow, they're gonna need that that guy. And I don't I, it's not Kulikov. Now, could it be Slater Cuckoo? And I'm gonna say keep. For me, Slater mm-hmm. Cuckoo is a keep, Bruce. Um, I just was really impressed with him this year. He, he, he too bad he got hurt. He was playing well. He came he he came on strong early and played really well. Then he had a little bit of a downward slip, but um, he can move the puck. He makes good decisions. He was he was much better defensively than I thought he was going to be. His defensive reading of the game was was strong. He made the right reads. He kept his body in the right position between his man and the net, generally speaking. He covered the slot well. Um, I I thought he was a good player. Can he play in the top four as a stopgap? Everyone says no automatically. Um, I don't say no automatically. I I wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't book it. But if if you, let's say you have Nurse, who's your top guy, definitely your top guy, and then you're going to have two other guys and maybe maybe four other guys, including Chris Russell. So you got Russell, you're gonna have I hope Caleb Jones, you have Logison. Maybe Logison. Uh, you have Kukuk. I think you're gonna probably get rid of maybe one Logison or Russell, send him send one of those guys to the minors or move him out. But I I, I think Cuckoo's in the mix because cause he could compete. He's definitely can play the bottom pairing and, and hold his own. And, um, could he step up and play with Adam Larson on the second pairing? It's a, it's a reach and it's not something you should plan on and you should be going for a better plan a,
1: uh-huh.
0: but I, it's a possibility as a plan B and plan a for Cuckoo would be his third pairing. And I like, I, that works for me cause he's going to be cheap and, um, he can get the job done. So I'm a definite keep with him.
1: Yeah, Cuckoo, he was funny, you know, by eye he looked all right, and uh, the results when he was out there are not so all right, and he was third pairing, like he got third pairing minutes, he got third pairing uh, uh, assignments, uh, he played more against uh, the opposition's grunt players than their elite players, and he got smoked pretty good on uh, uh, on uh, shot share, like uh, Oilers were around 42% <coughs> of shot attempts. Uh, about uh, 44% of shots and just 25% of goals. They scored four goals and allowed 12 uh, when Cuckoo was on the ice. And that's only like uh, just around 200 minutes on the season before he got uh, his um, uh, clavicle busted and he missed the whole second half of the season. Uh, And then in the playoffs, I found that he was fairly a pleasant surprise. Like I thought he and Bear were were a good pairing other than they had a, a couple of uh, of disasters. They had that one in the tying goal in game four where, where Bear coughed up the puck and Cuckoo tried to make the hero play and went sliding right on by everything and it all fell apart thereafter. And Dave Tippett responded by nailing both of their butts to the bench for the remaining 60 minutes of the game. And I didn't think Cuckoo had been that bad in the, in the playoffs, and he actually, you know, he performed a little better than I expected, frankly, in the postseason. But overall, I was a little more lukewarm towards him than I thought I might be. Like I was quite happy when they signed him, and the more I saw of him during the season, the more I was going, "Well, puck's in the wrong end a lot." <laughs> well, he yeah, yeah, had great shots in shot your, net a lot. Chicago, right?
0: That's why analytics people were excited mm-hmm. about
1: the signing.
0: Yeah, Bruce, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like. I've looked at this a little bit, and, and I know yeah. that we don't agree on this, and I'm lots of people don't agree with me. I, I just want to describe why I don't agree with going on shot yeah. shares, especially for defensemen, because I find yeah. them to be random. If you take, yeah. they don't. I don't believe if you dig into this for teams, I don't believe shot shares predict future shot shares. His his uh, shots for and his shots against. Look at his shots for in the first half of all these defensemen, do they predict how they're going to do in the second half? There's not much of a correlation there. I think it's it's kind of a random stat for defensemen, and I don't put a lot of weight into it because it's just riddled with false positives and false negatives on all these players. When we dug down into Cuckoo and we watched the the, the scoring chances uh, uh, that he was on the ice for, he had one of the best grade A scoring chances, plus minus, he, of any Oilers defenseman. Now, that that was against weak competition, so you got to keep right. that in mind. Yeah. but he he did fine he was co- contributing to a lot of great A chances and he was stingy giving them up in his own end according to you know when you when you bear down on those particular plays is he getting is he leaking chances against no he wasn't so you know when it's like when we went through Devon Shore recently um everything matched up he had terrible shot shares and his our numbers also matched up. You know, he just wasn't contributing to a lot of chances, and he was, and he wasn't right. a great defensive player either. He was just average on the Oilers. So, so when they all align, you know. Mm-hmm. But here, there's a big difference. Right. And again, I, I find these numbers to be especially for defensemen. I, I find that uh, the on ice numbers work a little bit better for forwards because um, the forwards, especially the court, like the shots for, for, well, if you know forwards really do participate in a high number of shots around the ice for they make a contribution Mm -hmm. but it's not the case with d-men and their uh shots for when they're on the ice and even on shots against so anyway it's that's my position on it but i know here's
1: here's a bit of here's a bit of a clue maybe on uh slater cuckoo i'm looking at him by a teammate he played uh 40 49 minutes with kyle turris and 45 minutes with Connor mcdavid right? Like he played more with Kyle Turris than he did with McDavid. Now, bear in mind mind that Turris uh, also played way more in the first half of the season and not so much in the second half. But when he was on the ice with Turris, the shots on net were 14 for Edmonton, 37 for the other guys. And the goal share was zero for the Oilers and four against. And this is in about 48 minutes. So about, uh, uh, if it was a full 60-minute hockey game, they would have lost it five nothing. Now McDavid, on the other hand, when he was out there with McDavid, the shot share was 29 for Oilers, 19 against. Uh, but the goal share was still poor, at two to four. So they got outscored in that time, but they actually carried the play pretty good. So uh, as you say, who the the forward that the defenseman's lining up with would uh, would have considerable say in it, and. Uh, uh, I will say this, if they do bring back Slater Cuckoo, I don't want him playing on on uh, Kyle Turris's line. But I don't really think we have to worry much about that because I don't think we'll be seeing much of Kyle Turris in 21-22.
0: Bruce, that whole thing with Kyle Turris just made me question the Oilers' uh, player scouting so profoundly. Yeah. It, it just was such a terrible miss. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I couldn't say it when they signed him. I hadn't watched the video myself. Right. I am not watching him in Nashville, but they mm-hmm. bought him out. You know, they had bumped him out of the lineup. I, I'm guessing it was similar. And to count on him to be the checking center. Oh, this, I want to talk about this at the end, Bruce. Right. Um, about the OAL, Um The Oilers coming close to, or, you know, lots of talk in Edmonton, at least about the Oilers acquiring OEL Oliver Ekman Larson last summer. I think it was the same thing, like Tippett one common mistake is a coach has experience with the player and they trust the player and mm-hmm. Tippett had coached tourists five years ago or whenever in the world the championships, world
1: championships and he had done 10, well 10 as the,
0: d- the defensive center. And so Tippett had, this is part of the narrative when they signed the guy. That's not, that's not state of the art pro scouting. That's terrible pro scouting. If that's what you're going on now, it paid off with Mike Smith. You know, it worked with Mike Smith where Dave Tippett had experience with the guy And they brought him in and he worked out this year. But, oh, Kyle Tourist was just so not close to being a defensive center, third line defensive center. He, he, you know, he torpedoed all of the goals against shot goal shares numbers of every player that he played with because he wasn't covering players in the defensive slot. And it was, it was a goal a game, it seemed like early in the year. So, uh, Whoever, whichever pro scout recommended him, they should go back look at their notes, see who was strongest in favor of hi, uh, bringing in Kyle Turris, and they should fire that scout uh, because that is such a mistake. That's probably a little harsh, but uh, I, I, I uh, it, this is you, you can't afford to make those kind of mistakes. I just whatever pro, here's what they should do, Bruce. They should look at the process that led them to sign Kyle Turris, and they should improve it. They've got to improve whatever they did and not go by those same things because that process clearly had a huge gaping hole in it. It caused a huge gaping wound in the Oilers this season. All right. Caleb Jones, keep, hold, or fold?
1: Well, I'm in the keep camp on Caleb Jones uh, for sure. Now, uh, he does have a year left on his $850,000 contract, uh, which is a good value contract and it should have been better value this year than it was I thought he had a pretty pretty ho-hum year for uh, uh, for the amount of uh, talent that he's gotten for the develop he'd show development he'd shown last year but it seemed like he was uh, kind of uh, one step forward two steps back this year where he'd he'd play and he'd look all right and then he'd make some some big mistake and it'd wind up in the back of their net and it was often seemed like a key goal against. And he lost the trust of his coach, and it kind of went sideways from there. Uh, The wild card here is that he is very possibly a prime candidate to be selected in the expansion draft by Seattle uh, if the Oilers don't protect him. And recent intel from the Oilers suggests that they might not protect him, uh, depending on what happens uh, with their defensemen between now and that draft, which is in the... uh, uh, latter part of July so uh, there was a big article in the Athletic yesterday Daniel Nugent Bowman was writing about Euler's plans and uh, if they sign Adam Larson who we spoke about previously and it sounds like a deal might be done with Larson in the relatively near future in which case they would have to protect him and they'll also be tra- protecting Darnell Nurse obviously and also uh, Ethan Baer, and if they protect a fourth defenseman, whether it would be Jones or if they were even throwing out the idea that it might be Lagasin, and then the other complete wild card is Clefbaum, like if his health changes, then they might want to try and get him under that umbrella somehow. So there's a couple of different paths the Oilers can go. Of course, they can go seven-three-one or four-four-one, where they protect forwards, defense, goalie. So if they want to if they want to protect Jones, they would probably have to go the four four one route, and uh, I'm not sure they're as high on him as many of the people that are absolutely insisting that Jones should be protected no matter what. Like there's an awful lot of fans and and followers, protected lists out there that have Caleb Jones on the list, like with Pen, and uh, I think he's a bubble player for the expansion draft. And he's the sort of player that surely Seattle should be looking for, and they may well take him. But can you say right now today that he's going to be a you know a six or ten year NHL pro and a solid player? It's certainly possible. Got to make that call.
0: Yeah. So I'm of he was he just had the weirdest season I think I've seen from an Oilers defenseman. Um. In that he was really, really great moving the puck. He did a good job moving the puck, uh, you know, as well as anyone. He had a few turnovers, but they all do. The guy can move the puck. But he was, he just leaked grade A chance after grade A chance. He was, his, his defensive game was atrocious. And he, you know, he just, he, he lost the confidence of the coach. Maybe the coach lost confidence in him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that made him lose confidence. Um, he seemed to have, he looked, had the look of a player who was nervous, never settled, lacking composure, making mistakes that you wouldn't, uh, hadn't, hadn't seen from him in the past. So he's got to fight through that. Like we've seen this with, with other players, you know, Jujar Kara was coughing up the puck constantly, um, the previous season and something turned. All of a sudden, he, had a, he, just, he just started to play, make good plays with the puck, especially before he got hurt there. Right. He was taking his time. He was making good plays. He wasn't throwing it away. He had thrown the, the way the puck cut continually the year before. And so, all of a sudden, it stopped. And I, it, my, me, my guess is it's, it's a confidence issue or or it's an issue with the player saying, everything's gone wrong. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to try to make a play and see what happens. I'm just gonna, you know, take that risk. Because I what's happening now, me second guessing myself and not not going for it, it's it's killing my career. That's what's happening with Caleb Jones. Like he he's he was still going for it with the puck, but there was too many turnovers. His defensive reads were just out of this world bad this season. And he hadn't been that way last year. That last year he had been on defense because he had been he'd been okay. He'd been in a large in a in a large group of Euler defensemen who were average on defense. This year he wasn't even close to that. So I like the idea though. And going back to this idea of a faster puck moving defense. Why would yeah. you get rid of your fa- One of your fastest and best pucking moving defensemen? why not work with him on his defense and on his defensive reads and confidence stick with this player? Cause there's, there is real potential there. I, I still see that, that in Caleb Jones and it could easily be realized. He could easily be, listen, two years from now, he could be easily playing in Europe. Or he could just as easily be in a top four left shot D-man on a team who's taking it, helping his team go deep into the playoffs. I could I could see either of those things. It's just weird. Uh, with with a player like him. I because the orders have such a great need in this particular category of skating on defense and moving the puck on, on defense, you don't get rid of them and you do what you can to keep them. Do you keep them over Ethan Bear? Um like if you can only protect three defensemen and let's say Mm -hmm. nurses want, obviously. Right. The Larson thing, I guess, you know, the question will people say, well, why don't you just wait and sign them afterwards? You know, have Mm -hmm. the old nudge, nudge, wink, wink going on.
1: Handshake agreement.
0: Yeah. That's a good question. Is that out of the question? Can they not do that? So I I wouldn't throw that out the window. If that's possible, do that. Mm -hmm. If everyone's cool with that, if Larson's cool with that and the orders are, if everyone's like on the same page, do Mm -hmm. that. Protect both Jones and Barra then and nurse that that would work. Now, if, if, if there's, but I don't know, maybe there's some reason you don't do that or you can't do that, or it's not to everyone's liking to do that. I, I can't say about that. This is like an unknown, unknowable for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with the, you know, I'm not going to criticize them if they sign them because maybe there's a reason I don't know about this. Um, Can't think, can't think of it. Maybe. Right can can you think of a reason that they got to do it now
1: as opposed to a handshake agreement yeah uh well I mean I'm not sure what uh, how the league is enforcing that kind of stuff behind the scenes to try and give Seattle a you know a fair shake coming in for their 650 million dollars that they paid for their team that they don't want too much gerrymandering going on behind the scenes of of players, Nominally left available for free agency that suddenly sign with their team the day after their uh, Seattle has talked to them. Uh, if the league has a chance to rule against the Oilers, they will, is my experience. <laughs> so, so I'm very reluctant to, to get out there in the gray areas of the rules for that reason. I think Holland, it's not really his style, but maybe, fool me, Ken. I mean, do it and, and fool me. But uh, I think he likes his bird in hand theory, and if he wants Adam Clark- Larson back, he'll just sign him and work with what he got. I mean, he knows he's going to lose one player to Seattle, and it might be Caleb Jones, and if it isn't, he's going to lose another, you know, presumably decent player to, uh, to uh, Seattle. And so my, my secret dream is that Seattle talks to the free agents and actually signs Tyson Barry. And if they do that, then the Oilers are off the hook for the expansion draft, and they don't have to worry about their protected list thereafter. So, that's my secret dream.
0: Well, if my secret dream would be if Ken Holland can be sneaky and it's within the rules, like if it's not against the mm-hmm. rules. I mean, Tampa Bay might win the Cup, Bruce, because they're freaking sneaky and got away with it. So, sneaky seems to be in in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, castigate sneaky when it's a huge part of the Stanley Cup run of the Tampa Bay Lightning and and uh sneaky like be sneaky Ken Holland be sneaky Adam Larson <laughs> and you know it, it's the difference between keeping Caleb Jones or William Loggison I think uh because Seattle's likely to take one or the other mm-hmm. probably a good bet and um I'm in the pretty firm Jones over Lagos and Camp at this point. So I, I I would like them to figure out a way to protect Caleb Jones. It would be a good message to the player that they believe in him
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: you know, to to uh, a boost to his confidence. Man, I thought he was going to be top pairing with Larson this year based on his play the previous year where he really was mm-hmm. a pretty solid two-way player, mainly playing third pairing minutes. So it's always difficult to transplant that third pairing st- Strong third pairing play, like we saw from Cuckoo this year. I'm going to argue into a second pairing role. I'm cautious. Huge
1: difference. Huge.
0: Didn't work with Benning. We saw Benning have some decent years in the third pairing. Just a huge difference, and it impacts all of their numbers, like counting numbers, Mm -hmm. and and so. But Jones, so Jones didn't make the jump this year. Either you know he he can learn from that though. He can learn from that. They can all that potential still there. That puck moving's there. So I, I hope they figure out a way to get, to get that done. I heard an interesting Bruce um, idea from at uh, uh, speeds on Twitter. I'm not mm-hmm. sure it, What his name is? Do you know what his name is?
1: Michael Spadell. Okay,
0: he had a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. If the orders he go with does. seven three, and he's often pushing the old uh, RFA. Uh, I- sheets that's
1: yeah every, oh, yeah. every He's, year you can count he, on he'd him be a that. very edgy gm let's put it that way yeah. But he, he has interesting ideas that are worth thinking about and uh once in a while it'd be nice to see someone actually try try one of them see if they could
0: so this was the idea the is that the orders don't have a ton of forwards if you're going to protect seven forwards the guys you're protecting many of them um and especially if Rnh isn't one of them, you you have two or three slots. You have a couple slots
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you're protecting guys. Like, why are you protecting them? Like if you if you were to lose, let's say it's Zach Cassian, for let's instance.
1: Let's say it's Zach Cassian, for
0: And instance. and um or it was one of the it could be Jujar Kara right. or 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 uh Tyler Benson could be in one mm-hmm. of the other slots, could be Josh Archibald. No, right. I, I think they should protect Josh Jar- Josh Archibald uh, mm-hmm. based on that. I'm 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 comfortable with but His suggestion is there's all these other teams that have forwards they can't protect. Why not trade right now at at a bargain? Mm -hmm. They're going to lose them anyway, one of them or both of them. Trade for one of those guys and use them. Use that protected spot on them. Great moment in time to get a player for less than his real value and then protect them uh, in your protection spot. It's such a – I didn't see one hole in that argument. It seemed like the best suggestion I've heard in a long time. Hope they take advantage of it.
1: So trade Caleb Jones and bring in a bring in a young forward uh, in his place. Voila! Voila! There,
0: yeah. you yeah. there you go. There you go. So it could be something like that. That could be that. That's along the lines of the deal, where you're going to lose Jones. Well, just make them force Lagos on him, and bring in a you know that, that Caleb Jones of forward uh, forwards.
1: So, mm-hmm. yeah, hope they do that. Yeah, although that doesn't address the speed on defense issue in the in a good way. But uh, rather than losing Jones and expansion, you could maybe maybe get a more solid forward up front and lose a slightly lesser player. They're going to lose a player no matter what. Yeah. So. So, no are you in the, the margins? Where are
0: you with? Did you give keep hold or fold on Jones?
1: Uh keep. Keep. All things considered, keep him. I mean, if it. And if you can squeeze him onto the uh, uh, protected list, do it. Um, but he may be, you know, they're going to have to offer a smorgasbord of players to Seattle, but they're only going to take one. So they might take him, they might take someone else. They, they certainly should be interested in a player like Caleb Jones, who's 23 years old and has got a, now a fair smattering of NHL experience and, and you know, is a little bit of a... Of a of a known commodity, and still you know very young with the future in front of them with a very decent contract. Like there's lots to like there.
0: Yeah, I, I'm in the uh, keep camp. I hadn't really thought of like it's maybe it's hold if they could make a trade, uh, an mm-hmm. expansion draft trade for a forward of equal ability. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a thought. There really aren't like they got to protect McDavid and Drysaitel, RV, Yamamoto, um, yeah. Archibald. Um, so that's five. Archibald's kind of on yeah, the gray they, list. They so. could go
1: four and four. I mean, if they're not protecting Nuge, they could go McDavid, Dry, Yamamoto, pull Yarby, and that's the four. And they then could. say, okay, have at the rest of them. And if you take one of Archibald, Cassian, Kara, we got other forwards that we can sign some other forwards to fill that hole. Uh, but we really have long term plans for these guys on defense. So we want to go four and four. But the talk is the Oilers are now thinking of going seven and three
0: yeah i wonder what they'll do with rnh we've talked about this before it's starting to look like when i hear it like um on oilers now stauffer mentions six years by six million bruce and i wouldn't do that like mm-hmm. i think that's a mistake personally mm-hmm. i i would rather that that nuge go to market and see what he can get in another city and then come come back to him i'll be shocked maybe i'm wrong bruce i'll be shocked if a team gives him six by six you think a team is going to give Nugent Hopkins $6 million for six years? Uh, Who? Maybe.
1: Maybe Seattle. Columbus,
0: Seattle, Columbus, there's a possibility.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe, Se- maybe Seattle talks to him during that window and they sign him and then the orders don't have to let anybody else go, similar to the scenario I suggested for Tyson Berry. If, if they sign one of those unrestricted guys, then that's it for the expansion draft. They got the guy they get from Edmonton is the guy they sign. So,
0: Would you go six by six on Nugent Hopkins, Bruce? If, uh, that, if I, that could get I, him signed?
1: I'm not a big fan of the term. I'd weigh rather three times six or four. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go to six and... and. Uh, six is a I'm lot of sure. money. Yeah, six is, six is this plenty. Is today's
0: NHL, four by mm-hmm. six, that's, that's the outer that's limit. a
1: big contract, yeah. That's
0: a big contract, four by six. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like fourth, he had fourth line, even strength scoring. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's not like he had a a tough year. He had a really tough year. Mm -hmm. His even strength scoring when he was with the dynamite line was fantastic, but historically hasn't been fantastic. So, you know, I'm okay. bringing him back at six, if it's, if it's for the right term, but six years. No, I think that's too long. I think that's a mistake. So, um. All right, last on our agenda, Bruce, let's just talk briefly about, because uh, I'm going to be writing about this soon, about, uh, remember last summer, all the talk about Oliver Ekman Larson mm-hmm. coming to the Edmonton Oilers in a trade? Oh, yeah. And I think in the end, I think in the end, OEL said, no, He the Oilers weren't on his final list of... Um,
1: yeah, it was Boston and Vancouver. one other team, wasn't it? Vancouver, yeah, wasn't it? Vancouver? And he gave him a hard deadline of the first day of free agency, and when it didn't happen... He just said, "All right, my no-trade contract. I'm, I'm just gonna going to uh, insist on my no-move clause. So that's that." So it was. Yeah, I think it was Vancouver. It was Boston and Vancouver.
0: When when those rumors were raging, um, it's funny because they had Nurse and Clauffbaum at that point. the The news about um, Oscar Clauffbaum hadn't come out yet, but we can see now maybe there was a bit more impetus for that news because the orders would have known. Let's say we don't know. I, I can't remember if we ever knew there was any interest from the orders, like real. If if how how much the smoke was fire, but we, we could see why the orders might be thinking of it with what was going on with Cleft Bomb. But I recall at the time, Bruce being against that move,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, you being against that move, and other people being more enthusiastic about it. And right. we were we were mainly against it. Because of his eight-year, eight-point-two-five million-dollar contract, he was in the first year of that deal this year. I think he's twenty-nine or thirty. Mm-hmm. He signed till you were looking it up. What's what's he 20, signed?
1: Twenty twenty-seven. It's got six more years. It was an eight-year, sixty-six million-dollar deal. Uh, he is twenty-nine. He'll be thirty next month, and he's got six years to run on his deal. And in twenty twenty-one, he scored. He missed ten games, so he played forty-six. Three goals, 21 assists, 24 points, minus 17, and uh, on a team that missed the playoffs. And he was no longer even their number one defenseman. Judging by ice time, he ranked third on the team, behind uh, Jacob Chikrin and Alex Goligosky, both of whom are over 23 minutes. And and uh, ekman Larson was down to 20 minutes and uh, just under 21 minutes a game, low for him. And what I don't know is a lot about him, and what I don't know is whether the injury was such that he was playing at less than 100% for a chunk of time, either before or after he was out of the lineup, which sometimes the injury has a lingering effect that that can uh, uh, slow a guy down for a bunch of a season or even the rest of the season sometimes. So uh, there may be some of that, but uh, uh, it was... Uh, I'm not sure that he came close to earning his $8.25 million this year, and he isn't getting any younger.
0: So, Bruce, when it came to even strength ice time for all NHL defensemen, he ranked 96th. Mm-hmm. He was probably, what, in the top five for pay? He ranked 96th for um, even strength ice time, and he ranked 123 for even strength ice um, Point scoring. So he was a second pairing defenseman. He got a lot he did well on the power play this year. Mm -hmm. He was a top performer on the power play, one of them in the NHL. But his even strength play was was second pairing level. It's a lot of money. And he's this is what concerns me. Like last year, there was already this dip in his play. You'd already seen in the numbers, um, a dip in in Ekman Larson's play. He was no longer in the top ten, you know, for uh, points, time on ice, all of these different ways you can rate defensemen. And it was already evident last year. He was in the, he ranked in the around the 50th or something like that in the NHL, as I recall. And so you're already seeing a slide. And it's like Nugent Hawkins this year. Okay, you're already seeing a slide in a 28, 29 year old player. And you're looking at signing him long term. That's just, I just think that mm-hmm. is, you have to think hard about that. There has to be like a overwhelmingly good reason to proceed with a long term contract. If there isn't, why are you doing it? Um, because cap space goes a long way in today's NHL. And you can always get, you can get like g- good players, especially when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, You know, we saw this year Tyson Berry was willing to come here. There will be other players who will come here. Dominic Cahoon came here. He probably had other opportunities, a few others. You know, he came here on a really low contract. So I just bring up him up because... I just, it's important for all of us to remind ourselves the times we were wrong. Now we were, we happened to be you and I right on Ekman Larson. I think at least in the short term, we were right. He didn't have a a year that matched his contract. I've been wrong in the past on other players. I thought again, Caleb Jones, I thought he was going to step up into the top four. I was incorrect on that. So it's something for me to think about. Why was I wrong? So now I think anytime my lesson is anytime I'm projecting someone who's done well in the third pairing into an up top pairing, like Slater Cuckoo this year, um, he did well by by my way of ranking players in a third pairing role, but I'm going to be cautious and not have him as option A there. I don't think that's a good idea based on what I learned from Jones this past year. So, you know, if you were if you're pushing if you're pushing ekman Larson right now, and then you're also really keen on Nugent Hopkins, maybe you should think about that. Is my point? Like we all need to think about where we got it wrong. And and the the difficulty is. That every player is an individual and they they defy the patterns. So it's hard to apply the pattern. You can you can get it wrong applying the pattern. But look for the pattern. See if see how durable and strong they are. Look at your predictions. Who you who you picked to do well in the past. See if they're actually doing well. Um, and and um, it's a it's just a way for you to maybe, if nothing else, have a little bit more humility in terms of being certain that you're right on. The has got to do it with this player. They must do it. And if they don't do it, Ken Holland's the biggest dummy who's ever lived. Like, you might back off off on that if you go back and look at your tweets from a year ago and see who you favored for all these different positions. Mm. So.
1: that's Ekman Larson, this was his 10th year in the NHL. As a rookie, he played 22 minutes a game. Then he had three years over 25, two years over 24, three years over 23. And then this year he dropped all the way down to 20.58 per game. So by far the least ice time that he's in. He's got six years to run on that contract. So if that's the beginning of a trend, mm-hmm. look out. And I can like say, I don't know enough that maybe it was special circumstances and the young fellow Chickman was playing well enough that they they were spotting Ekman Larson uh, to a lesser role because he was nursing something. But uh, I, I would say that... Uh, uh, I'm not unhappy that uh, the Oilers didn't take on the final seven years of that pact.
0: Yeah, Chikren and um, Goligoski were their were their top pairing. They were getting mm-hmm. about 19, 20 minutes at even strength a game. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Ekman-Larsson again was he was like uh, about 17 minutes at even right. strength. So he was a solid second pairing defenseman mm-hmm. in the NHL oh, yeah. this year. He, strong power player. But mm-hmm. his his salary should have been around five million a year, and um, based on his level of play. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, man, bullet dodged, <laughs> bullet, bullet dodged Bruce. I'm saying maybe he's going to come on and prove me wrong. Maybe Ekman Larson, you know, there's, wow. there's definitely that possibility that we, that this year he's going to step up again. And so golagowski is he the right or the lefty there? He's
1: maybe the right.
0: He's the righty, eh? Mm-hmm. So Chikrin, he's well, yeah. OEL is not going to, Chikrin's on his, the way up. He's heading into the app. Prime years of his career. Hard to believe that Oel is going to take over from that guy. Mm -hmm. So, and now they can't. Like, there's no way they can move him. Like, I don't. Last summer, it looked like a deal. Even then, they couldn't move him, right? Because he was hesitant to move, but other teams weren't willing to pay the price then. So, but yeah,
1: I mean, we're talking about the contract. What would be the acquisition cost? What, What what was being tossed around at the time in terms of what it was going to cost the orders to get the guy? I can't remember. It's not emblazoned in my mind like the PK-Suban trade where the cost Beyond was dry and sidle and either nurse, nurse or cleft bomb and, and a the fourth P. overall pick for pick. Uh, oh, God. Uh, for a ninth and Suban. I mean, that would have been devastating. Uh, the I, 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 I'm drawing a blank on what this. I'm not sure it was ever sort of... Uh, nailed down in any kind of way that it was a firm offer or anything close but uh, it would not have been free and I think there was some recognition that it was a cap dump for uh, for Arizona so that should reduce the acquisition costs but still would have uh, cost a bunch of assets Let
0: me just see Bruce if I can find what was being talked about really quickly here in terms of of uh, uh, former GMs Brian Lawton and Brian Burke said that Oliver Ekman Larson is still in the top 15 demon in the league, while ex player Louis de Brux wasn't so sure, saying that OEL wasn't a true number one D man because he did not dominate both ways any longer with his defensive play not at the highest level. Louis! Props to Louis de Brux, he got that right, and Brian Lawton and Brian Burke got it wrong, I'm going to suggest. Um, let me see what we're talking about. I was just trying to place them and I, I didn't have them as is it, I didn't have them in the top 15 either. But I, I remember the price being um pretty steep. I'm going to do a post on this, so I'll dig mm-hmm. a little bit more deeper and find out what that price was. But it was a, you know, like we're talking about a player and a, and a top pick, I think was the idea, wasn't it? As I recall, yeah, if I recall correctly, so.
1: Something along those lines. Yeah, didn't happen. Good, good.
0: All righty. Should we leave it there?
1: Yeah. Well, he was certainly well above the top fifteen in uh, uh, in salary. Yeah. For a defenseman, you know. So, just in terms of uh, of cap hit for what uh, for what they. Uh, would have been getting and I mean that's the trouble when you look at this thing at the high paid defenseman you've got Eric Carlson number one and there's a guy who's getting paid for past performance and not for uh, uh, and not for um, what he's doing now but for what he's done in the past and guy you know with injury woes and you know I mean it's the years take a toll on these guys, and when you talk about six, seven, eight year into the future contracts for guys entering their 30s, that's got that to me is almost a no go zone anymore. It's just it just doesn't pay off frequently enough to be, to be worth going deep.
0: Well, based on his last two years of play, Bruce, if the orders had made that move, it would have been a franchise killing move. Yeah. Possibly for the Oilers, like it, it would be, it could be in that category because if he, if he, even if he stayed the same, it's a massive overpay, and then he, you can expect decline as he gets into like 30, 34, like thirty four, thirty five for sure. So, wow, you just have to be br- so careful about term in the NHL, and this is this is with Nugent Hopkins. You might have to just, you might just have to walk. And this, mm-hmm. Some owner fans are going to lose their minds Like, mm-hmm. And I get it, I really want him to be on the Edmonton owners I mm-hmm. love the player um, As an Edmonton owner He's been a great Edmonton owner But if he wants that kind of money over 6 years it's just You just have to see, Test the market, Ryan, and come back to us Because it doesn't make sense So
1: Yeah, he was number 6 Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty Both had 11 million change Roman Yossi, P.K. Subban Alex Petrangelo then Oliver ekman larsson And then four guys tied at 8 and just behind him, Brent Burns, Jacob Truba, John Carlson, Thomas Shabbat. And only then do you get down to one of the actual Norse Trophy candidates, Victor Hedman, at number 11. Now you're talking about, you know, a real value contract. And it's, uh, you know... To pay over 10% of your salary cap to one player, that guy's got to be a serious outperformer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Maybe the Vancouver Canucks, are. Uh, they they had a sh- weakness on defense. Maybe it would have made sense there. I don't know. Maybe he'd still be the number one guy if he was in Vancouver. It was Hughes is on the left side. Or is he on the right side? Left. He's a right. He's a left, Quinn Hughes. He's a lefty, yeah. All right. So there doesn't make sense there either. Like if you, if you had a need for a number one left shot D man, then maybe you might have gone for it then. Now, well, good luck.
1: If the Islanders take out, um, take out Boston tonight, maybe the Bruins will be back in the market for the guy. Good. (laughs) All right. Let's leave it there, Bruce. All right. Sounds good.
0: Thanks for talking.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.